please, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we all know this story. It's a very big blight on the life of a man that God wants us to remember as a man after his own heart. I don't know if any of you guys are aware, but I told, told the church a few weeks ago I've just had to get my eyes tested. I need glasses because at work I um, yeah, work in front of a computer and do a bit. And, and so I've got these glasses and they're made especially for about that distance, so when I'm looking at that distance. But I don't have to wear them all the time. It's just when I'm sort of at that distance reading. And uh, the first week, uh, a few weeks ago when I got them, I said to Jackie, keep saying to me, you've got to bring them to church because you'll need them. It's like, no, no, I don't need them. I'm like, oh, I look like a, you know, glasses book nerd thing when I'm sitting there. I don't want to do that. So anyway, not that people with glasses wear book nerds. I'm just saying for me, I feel odd with glasses on because I've never had to wear them. Um, so anyway, the other week, I don't know, you guys probably wouldn't be aware of this, but I told you just to turn to a certain book of the Bible and you turn there and you know, I'm standing there and I'm about to read it and I'm looking at it and I'm going, but God, that's not what it said when I was preparing this message. That isn't, that's not at all what it was. Anyway, I was in two books over. Um, so maybe I do need to take my wife's advice and bring my glasses along. Uh, to church. But anyway, you wouldn't even know that because I skillfully covered it and slid across and got on to what we were doing. Before I start this morning, 2 Samuel 11, I want to uh, just share with you a little joke I found, which I thought was quite funny. I was, I was perusing uh, the internet last night while Jackie was doing some uni and I thought this was quite good. Um, a little girl asked her mother, where did people come from? Her mother answered, God made Adam and Eve and they had children and that's how all mankind was made. A couple of days later, she asked the father the same question. The father answered, many years ago, there were monkeys, which the human race evolved from. The confused little girl returned to her mother and said, Mummy, how is it possible that you told me that we were created by God and Daddy said we come from monkeys? The mother answered very quickly, Well, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family and your father told you about his. (laughs) I thought, that joke needs to get out there. God wants people to hear that. There you go. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 1 and 2. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. I remember uh, being in uh, Youth with a Mission when I used to work for Youth with a Mission years ago and, and I'd been there for some time and uh, I'd done some training schools and now I was getting ready to do a school of evangelism and at the same time as my school of evangelism was beginning there was a school called a discipleship training school beginning and I remember seeing this woman get out of a car and thinking to myself this must be what it was like for David when he was on the roof and she was fair to look upon and here she is today with me my wife Jackie we love getting married and I had a David moment Back then. That's points there, by the way, people. I hope you heard that, Jackie. It's recorded now for everyone to hear. If we have a look at this situation, this one moment in time begins a massive blight on the life of this man. Now, David wasn't perfect, okay? I think a lot of times when we read about David, and and God wants him to be remembered as a after his own heart. Is that right? When we think King David, that's the, the scripture that jumps out to us. He was a man after God's own heart. David was not perfect. David had many flaws, especially when it came to relationships. 
But it came to the way he related to his children, the way he related to his, 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 his wife and so on. Uh, David was not a perfect man, but God wants us to remember him that way. I find that really encouraging because I'm not a perfect man. But you know what? I still believe that God looks at me as a man after his own heart. Now, you're not perfect people, I'm sure. Now, some of you, I know, I know you're not perfect actually. But having said that, you know, God looks at you and thinks you're a man, you're a woman after God's own heart. And that's really what matters. God looks at the heart of man. Even though we make mistakes at times, even though we don't always get things right, you know, we can do the, the right things for the wrong reasons, but we can do the wrong things for the right reasons as well. And God knows that. Okay? God knows we're human. And God deals with us accordingly. But this whole situation unfolded a very dark period in David's life. Now, if we go back a little bit before that, if you want to go back to the chapter before and so on, um, the Ammonites uh, disrespected uh, David and cut a long story short, David ended up going to war against the Ammonites. Uh, the Ammonites then had a bit of cash so they pulled out their cash and hired some Syrians and said, you come as mercenaries and you fight alongside of us and we'll defeat Israel. Things didn't go according to plan. Israel got on top of them. So the, the, the Ammonites take off, start retreating. The Syrians start retreating. And the Bible says that the Ammonites retreated back to a, a, what was referred to as a fortified city, a big city called Rubber. And the Syrians took off in this direction and Israel pursued the Syrians and subdued them, defeated them. And all the nations that were subject to Syria said, you know what, we're not going to fight against you, man. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll do a truce with you and we'll serve Israel and we'll come on board with you. So that part of the battle was taken care of. Then David turned and said, right, now we've got to get the Ammonites who started this whole thing. But the season changed and it became winter. Now in winter time, armies didn't go out to battle for practical reasons. Um, it wasn't like today where they got a fighter jet and, 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 and sailed across the top of the city and dropped the bomb and blew the whole thing up. These, there were horses, there were chariots, there were foot soldiers, there was rain, there was snow, there was mud. The conditions were not conducive for warfare. So that's why the Bible says that over the winter months, you don't find a lot of battles being fought because they went back to their cities and they rested. And they waited for the season to change. That's why it's saying in the spring when kings went out to battle, once those colder months were over, conditions had changed, that's the time that the kings gathered their armies back together and said, right, now we've got to get out there and let's, let's take some ground. Let's go back out and finish off the Ammonites. Let's, let's basically finish what we started before the season changed. And that's the situation we find David in. The springtime has come. It's time for him to get his charges together. Joab knows this. The army knows this. Joab grabs the soldiers goes, right, come on guys, get your armour on, pick up your swords, pick up your shields, let's get ready to go. And Joab gets his stuff on, gets his armour on, gets his gear, sharpens his sword, goes up to David in the palace and says to David, right, ready, it's time to go. And David says, excellent, but I'm not going to come with you this time. I'm not going to come with you this time, Joab. I, I, I want you to lead Israel and you go and take that city. You go and take that city. The Bible doesn't tell us why David decided not to go. But we do see the consequences of that one decision. The whole story of Bathsheba. From this one decision to not lead the nation into battle, which he should have done, which was his responsibility, it was the thing that he was called to do. From this one decision, we see all these consequences. We see adultery, we see murder, we see lying. Uh, we go over into Chronicles and we see also this is about the time where he decided to, to do a census of Israel and they said, I'm going to count our army and see how great we are and, and, and you know, when I know the numbers we got, then you know, the temptation then is that well, we're the biggest nation in the world, we're the biggest army, we can beat anyone and, and lose that focus on, no, no, God is your strength, God is your fortress, God is the one that fights for you. And, and it began this series of events in David's life, all from one, one, one decision. At a time when kings went forth to battle, David stayed at home. Now, like I said, we don't know the reasons why. We can make some inferences and some, some uh, yeah, assumptions about why. 
But every time I read this story, it impresses upon me one thing, the importance of being in the will of God. The importance of being where God wants me to be. Now, there are reasons why God wants me to be in a particular place. There are reasons why God wants me to be a particular person. There are reasons why the will of God is important. And I just want to have a look this morning at a few little things that we can draw out of this passage. Little things that we can take away from this story that will help us as we endeavour to live out God's will for our lives. And the first thing we see there is that we need to let peace be our guide. Let peace be your guide. How many of you know that, that God is a God of peace? Jesus we refer to as the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, peace I give you. Peace I give you. In verse 2 here it says that it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's palace. That word walked in the Hebrew gives the impression of an agitated state, pacing back and forth on the roof. Something's wrong. I'm unsettled inside. I'm not peaceful. Something's not right. Like a lion pacing back and forth. Anyone ever been to a zoo and seen the lion pacing back and forth inside the cage? You know why they do that? Because deep down inside of them, a lion knows he's not meant to be in that environment. He's in the wrong place. He shouldn't be in that cage. He should be out there chewing on the people who are looking at him. That's what he's thinking. He doesn't want to be in the cage. He's licking his lips going, oh, no. That's what he wants. And so there's this agitation, this back and forth. And the Bible says that David arose and he was on the roof and he's pacing back and forth. He's agitated. I wonder if he was agitated because deep down inside he knew he should have been out there leading the troops in battle. He shouldn't have been at home in the comfort of the palace. He was in the wrong place. And I find in my life when I'm in the wrong place, when I'm doing the wrong things, geez, I get unsettled on the inside. Am I the only one here? When we're outside of the will and the purpose and the plans of God for our life, one of the first indicators should always be that lack of peace. Peace dissipates, it disappears. When I've had seasons in my life where I know I've been doing the wrong thing, I get this agitation inside of me, this unsettledness inside my spirit. That's what David was experiencing up here on the roof. When I've been in the wrong places, the wrong locations, doing the wrong thing, I have this unsettledness inside of me. Peace is a great guide for us as to whether we are in the purposes and plan of God for us or not. If there's a lack of peace about decisions that you're making, a lack of peace about the place where you are, a lack of peace about the direction you're heading in, I would stop, plant my feet, look to heaven and say, God, what's going on here? God, what's going on here? (laughs) Let peace be your guide. Perhaps David was just a little bit too comfortable with his own blessings and thought, that it was those things that gave him peace. I'll stay in the palace because that fireplace makes my life feel comfortable and good. The money that I have gives me peace. The security that I have gives me peace. The safety that I have gives me peace. The prestige I have brings me peace. The platform I have brings me peace. Maybe in David's head he thought if I go out to battle and I'm living uh, in a tent out in the middle open nowhere and I'm eating off a campfire and I'm getting mud on my hands and I'm picking up, that would be very uncomfortable and maybe I'll lose my peace. How many of you know you can be in the most comfortable place in the world but if it's outside the will of God you won't have peace. You can be in the dirtiest, disgusting, groveliest place on planet earth but if God's got you there you'll have peace in that place. You'll have peace in that place. It doesn't always have to feel good 
But we have to have peace. Amen? Not everything that God's called me to do in my life has felt good. When I was 19 years of age, I got saved. And uh, when I got saved, I was like all of us. I, I, I never had God in my life. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't go to church. didn't have a Bible in my house. None of that stuff. And then all of a sudden I meet Jesus and I think, my goodness, wow, I had no idea that there was this side of life and that it could be so good. I had no idea that inside of me I could actually have peace because I was always looking for it in something else. And all of a sudden I found that peace. And like everybody, when we first come to Christ, the excitement, and I made that declaration to God, I'll do anything in the world for you, Lord. I'll do anything. Little did I know he's going to take me up my word. And I ended up in central India for a number of years, living over there. But you know what? One, the one thing I will, I will preface by saying this, the one thing I did say to God when I got saved was I'll do anything, but I won't go to India. That was the one thing that I actually said to him. Because <laughs> I'd heard enough stories. Now if I go over there, I'm going to get really bad diarrhea. I'm going to get stomach pains. I'm going to get this. I'm going to... I'll do anything for you, Lord. I won't go to India. And God says, excellent. I heard that. I heard that. I'll focus on the everything bit, not the India bit. I'll focus on the everything bit. Luke 179 says this. Zechariah prophesying about Jesus when he was born. He came to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace. As journeying on with God, we should be getting guided into a place of peace. Might not start there, but it will come. I remember doing my evangelism training school with YWAM and, and then doing my school of evangelism, uh, my, my discipleship training school. Then I did my school of evangelism. And at the end of that, um, it, it, it set the course of my life where I actually ended up over in India and we, we were there for quite a few years. But I went over there uh, as a part of a, a school to pioneer a ministry centre over there. But I remember when we went through our lecture phase and they sat us down, they said, here's all the options of places that you, we, want, we want to send people. You've got to pray. There was one around Outback Australia. There was one in Russia. Now, Russia really piqued my interest because I always wanted to go to Russia. I don't know why, but I just, within my natural self, I want to go over to Russia because anyone that's really oppressed and, 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 and downtrodden, I, I just there's something inside me that wants to go and help those people and, and, and grab them and bring them up to another place, you know. Even before I got saved, I wanted to go over to Africa and I wanted to fight. I wanted to pick up, take up arms and fight against anyone that was oppressing anybody. That was just my makeup and what I wanted to do, you know. Um, so anyway, so they said um, Africa, uh, Russia, uh, Outback Australia and India. And I straight away knew, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray about, I'm going to pray about those three destinations. <laughs> Which one is it, Lord? Is it, is it Russia? I think it's Russia, God. Is it... Is it you know, outback Australia. Is it Africa? And I just couldn't find peace. And so we had to know by the next morning. So it was midnight. So me and four of my mates jumped in a car. We drove down to Redlands, Redland Bay in Brisbane. We drove down to Redlands School. And it was back before they had fences around schools and everything like that. You could actually go onto the property. And we walked in there at about midnight. And we sat uh, in, in the, the sort of play area there. And we, sat, and we all said, look, let's pray for each other. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? And we all shared. We all opened up and shared. This, blah, blah, blah. And we prayed for each other. And I remember when they laid hands on me and they started praying for me, I had this picture, this vision. And I saw myself surrounded by these little dark-skinned children. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm looking really, really hard in the vision going, they've got to be African. They've got to be African. God, let them be African. I'm looking. They don't look African, God. They look Indian. <laughs> and God said to me, I want you to go to India. I want you to go to India. And cut a long story short, I did go to India. But what was amazing was from the time leading up to that, by the time I got up after we prayed, 
And I let God guide my feet into a place of peace. I talked to people about it. I said, look, guys, here's what I'm feeling. I asked them to pray for me. Will you pray with me? I did all the the practical stuff I could do. We prayed. I got up. I still was feeling, ah, India. By the next morning when I woke up and we had to announce where we were going and submit where we felt the Lord was, I had a peace about that. God guided my feet into a place of peace. Just because something's not easy, just because it doesn't necessarily float your boat, so to speak, straight away. But God will give us a peace if something's him. Let peace be the umpire. Let peace be your guide. God leads us into places of peace. You know, another thing I've noticed too, quite often before you come to Jesus, did you know the devil has a plan for your life? You know that? Has a plan for your life. devil has a plan for your life. God has a plan, but so does the devil. The devil's plan can be summed up in two broad brush phases. Number one, he wants to stop you coming to salvation. That's his first plan. If he can't do that, the second one is to make you apathetic about your faith. Okay, you're in the house of God now. You've got salvation. I can't snatch you out of his hands, so I'm just going to make you quiet about it. I'm just going to make you lifeless. I'm going to make it so that you don't pursue God anymore. Okay, you're, in, you're going to heaven now. What more do you want? Nah. Just wait till you die and you can have all the joys of heaven and I'll squash you down here. That's what he wants to do. And I found in my life, through the things that happened in my world before I came to faith in Christ, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on where the devil was trying to squash the gifts and squash the call and push me away from the very thing that God wanted to lead me into. When I first, uh, when I went to school, I got through grade 12 without ever once public speaking. Never once did I get up in front. I went all the way through. I did my HSC. Not once did I ever get up in front of a group and do a public presentation. You know why? Because I would wag that day all year. Every time I knew that I'd have to get up and do a... I did my school certificate, never once did anything public because I'd wag. I did my HSC, I wagged. Anytime I had to get up in front, I would wag. And you know what? If I was in a classroom and they said, right, we're springing on, you're all going to get up and do a talk, I'd say, I've got to go to the toilet, and I'd go, and I wouldn't come back. (laughs) Never once, never once did I have to get up and speak. You know why? Because I was convinced I couldn't do it. I was convinced that it was a bad and an evil thing. And I remember when I got saved and this guy came to me and he said, Alan, because I used to go to Ballina High School, I got saved. He said, Alan, I heard that you have given your heart to Christ. And I said, well, I know all the terminologies, but yes, that sounds right. Sounds like something I would have done. Well, what we'd like you to do is we want you to come to school and we'd like you, there's a little RE class, just a little RE class, little kids in grade six, uh, seven, the high school. We want you to come on in and we want you to share with them, just tell them your little story of, of why you came to Jesus. And I thought... Okay, hang on. Little class, grade seven, there's about 12 kids in the class. Jesus hung on a cross, died, bloody, beaten, blah, blah, blah. Me talking to 12 kids. Jesus on a cross, me 12. Eh, fair call, I can do that. It's a fair trade, Jesus. No worries, if that's what, that's what you want, I'll do that. So I said, yeah, I'll do that, no worries. I rock up to the school on the day, and the guy pulls me aside and goes, oh, look, there's been a bit of a change of plans, mate. It's not just one class of grade seven, it's actually all of grade seven. Now, at that stage, Ballina High was the third largest high school in New South Wales. So I'm thinking, oh. And he says to me, is that okay? Is that okay? Of course I was cool on the outside going, yeah, mate, no worries, that's fine. Inside I'm going, ah! That's not okay. That's not cool. But I didn't want to look like I was nervous. Yeah, mate, no, it's sweet, no worries. More the merrier. (laughs) And then he goes, and by the way, it's not just grade seven, it's all of grade eight and all of grade nine. Ah! Piece of cake, mate. No worries. Chuck in 11 and 12. <laughs> and inside I'm going, ah, no. 
And then they said, by the way, it's in the main auditorium and all the teachers are going to be there. All the teachers that I wagged their classes for the last seven years, they're all going to be there too. Is that okay? Sweet, no worries. So I get here and someone's singing, you know, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, something like that. And the kids are all sitting there. You know, no one's interested in it because it's RE, it's at school. And, and it wasn't, you know, really youth-oriented. It was just we're doing our Christian thing and going through our stuff. So by the time I got up there, the kids were just bored out of their tree. I was bored out of my tree. And next thing the guy goes, right now, we've got a, a real treat for you today. We've got an ex-student called Alan. And he's out there and he's going to come and he's going to share with you how Jesus changed his life. Here he is. Put your hands together. So I walk out and I'm on the stage. Now I walk out across the stage there and they hand me the microphone. I get the microphone and my hand starts doing this. And it would have been like that. I was so nervous. So what I did was I thought, I'm going to walk to the edge of the stage and I'm going to, to uh, sit down on the edge of the stage. Because while my hand's doing this, I notice my legs are also going like this. So if I sit on the edge of the stage and take the weight off, maybe my legs will stop shaking. So I've walked like this up to the edge of the stage. And I sat down on the edge of the stage and took the weight off my legs and then my legs were just like two sausages hanging. I thought, right, I've dealt with that. But the hand's still going. The hand's still going. What do I do? What do I do? So I thought, here's what I'll do. If I, if I tuck my elbow in here and take the weight off my arm, maybe it'll stop. So I put my elbow in and I'm holding the microphone like this and I'm sitting like this. With my two sausage legs hanging over the edge of the stage. But hey, I'm happy because I'm not shaking. And then I look up and I'm about to speak and who do my eyes lock on with? My 13-year-old sister is sitting there and she's going... (laughs) Pointing at me and her friends are all laughing and thinking, oh God, can this get any worse? I can't do this. So I thought, right, what I'll do is I'll look right over the other side of the auditorium, because it's a big auditorium, and that way I can't see my sister. And I went with my eyes banging. Who do my eyes lock on with? Well, my 13-year-old cousin's in there as well, and she's doing the same thing. I'm going, oh, God, this is terrible. So I ended up just looking at the back wall. Far at the back wall, zoned out away from everybody, and here I am sitting there like this, shaking. Oh, come to Jesus. He'll make you like me. It's going to be awesome. You'll love him. He's going, And that was my first ever experience speaking publicly. <laughs> when it was over, I put the microphone down, I ran through the middle of the school, jumped into a mate's car and went to the said, I'll never do anything like that again, God, never! <sighs> but you know what I discovered when I got saved? That God had given me a gift to do that. God had given me a gift to communicate. And I've been able to take that gift for the glory of God and go to different nations and all over the place and be able to preach to People have been to places where people have never even heard the name of Jesus. And I've been privileged enough to walk into those villages and be the first person to ever say his name. But you know what? The devil did everything he could to try to get me away from that call, away from that plan, away from the will of God by making me uneasy about it, by making me think that it couldn't happen. I wonder how many of us would have a similar story if we dare ask God. The very thing that the devil has tried to kill in you, maybe, maybe, I'm not saying it, it's just saying maybe. Maybe that's the very thing that God wants to use for your life. Possibly. I'm not God. You'd need to ask him. Second thing we get out of this passage, you can be in the right place but have the wrong focus. David was in the right place. He was the king, after all. He was anointed and called of God to be the king. But being the king, 
had certain rights and privileges, but how many of you know it has certain responsibilities as well? The rights are great. David, maybe that's why he stayed. Well, it's my right to stay. It's my right to have these servants. It's my right to have this, my hands clean. It's my right to send you out to fight my battle. It's my, my right. David wanted his rights, but he didn't want the responsibilities that came with that position. He wanted the rights, but he didn't want the responsibilities <laughs> that came with that position. You can be in the right place, but you can have the wrong focus. We can be in the will of God, but we can be living our own will in the midst of it. I wonder, I wonder how many of us, how many business people are out there? Just as an example. Earning money. Started a business. The Lord laid on your heart to start a business. They start businesses. They get rich. We see this in politics all the time. You know, God lays on someone's heart to go into politics. You look at the history of Australian politics, you'll see a lot of people that got involved in politics because they felt in the early stages God told them to. God led them into that. God calls us to do something. We're right in the middle of it. We're doing it. We're, we're, we're building our business. We're successful. We're earning lots of money. We bought a really beautiful home for our family, which God is into. God blesses it and is all for it. You bought a, a car or two, nice car. God loves it. He's into it. I don't believe in a, in, a, in a God that wants us to be impoverished. I don't believe in a God that wants us to be squashed down. I believe in a God that says, arise, set the standard, set the bar high, rise up, do better in life, be more successful, uh, uh, expand yourself. That's the God that we serve. But in the midst of all that that we do, if we're focused purely on our own success, with no thought of the kingdom, we're missing it. We can be in the right place, we can have the wrong focus. We can be in the right place, we can have the wrong focus. You can build your career. You could be a, a, a teacher and fight your way up to, 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 to primary school teaching, then to high school, then you become the principal of the school and so on. You can be start off down here with a small business and then grow that business and then send out franchises and make all You can do all that stuff and be right in the will of God, but if you don't have an, a kingdom focus, at the same time, you can be in the right place in the will of God but with the wrong focus. When I used to run schools of evangelism in Brisbane, we ran these training schools for years. We'd get international students in, we'd train them up in evangelism and then we'd send them out all over the world to go and preach the gospel, pray for the sick, do all sorts of stuff. When we first took on the schools, uh, and I had my little lecture room that we set up, on the back wall I got a big paintbrush and I painted this scripture. Matthew 4.19. It says this, Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're following Jesus into whatever it is that he has for you, if you're following Jesus into business, because that's what he has for you, if you're following Jesus into concreting, because that's what he has for you. If you're following Jesus into science, because that's what he has for you. If you're following Jesus into sport, because that's what he has for you. If you're following Jesus into teaching, into whatever it is that you're following Jesus into, he's made a promise to you. If you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. Whatever you're following me into, I will make sure there's a kingdom focus to that. I will make sure that there's an aspect to that call that's not just an end, a dead-end street and it's all about you. I will make sure that whatever you go into, I will lead you into that with the purpose of you becoming a fisher of men in some way, shape or form. We must have a kingdom focus about us. If we don't have a kingdom focus, we're like David. We want to sit in the castle we want the rights 
of being the king, but we don't want the responsibilities that go with that. Kings in David's day were not just kings on thrones, they were called also as military leaders. When Israel asked for a king, and they said to to Samuel, they said, give us a king like the other nations. What they were saying was, all the other nations at that time had military leaders as kings. They would lead their nations out to battle. They would fight for their nations. They would be the ones up front wielding the sword. And Israel said, we want that kind of king. And we all know the story. God said, no, I'm your leader. And they said, no. And God said, right here, no ways you'll get that. So David knew when he was anointed king, he knew what was expected. He knew it wasn't just about the benefits of being the king and having all the great stuff for yourself, the glory, the accolades. He knew there was a responsibility with that. And that responsibility happened to kick in at springtime when kings went forth to battle. And David said, I want the rights of it, but I don't want the responsibilities. And how often can we be like that? We can be smack bang in the will of God. But are we focused purely on the rights of our status? Are we aware that we also have responsibilities? The Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 12, we are blessed to be a blessing. God will bless us. God will take care of us. God will fight for us. God will give us platform position. He will open doors for us. But there's another result. That's not just to fill my pool, my bucket. It's so that that bucket overflows, so that other people are blessed, so that the nations of the earth are blessed. My prayer for all of us and my prayer for the church, because I've seen the other extreme of it where in extreme Pentecostalism we do, we see a lot of stuff about our rights, our rights, where this, where that, but people don't want to talk about their responsibilities. I have rights in the kingdom of God. Yes, I do. And I believe in those rights and I proudly hold on to those rights. And I will never begrudge those. I I am at the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am that. I believe that with all my heart. I believe God wants to bless me, to prosper me. I believe it with all of my heart. I believe that, 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 that God wants to give me great things. I believe it with all of my heart. But I also believe that he does that for a reason. That reason goes well beyond myself. And that's what I mean when I say we can be in the will of God but still we live in our own will. We don't want to be like that. I want the rights of being a child of the king, but I also want to move in the responsibilities of that as well. Never feel guilty. Never feel guilty for being blessed by God. Never feel guilty for receiving the benefits of the cross. Don't feel guilty for that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Forget not the benefits. Heals your diseases. Forgives your sins. Bless us. God wants, God's got good things for us. He's a loving father. Don't ever feel guilty for that. But please, please, please don't stockpile the blessing of God for yourself. If you're in that school as a teacher, guess what? People in that school need Jesus. If you're a businessman, guess what? People need Jesus in your workplace. The kingdom of God needs finance to fund things that are going to happen overseas and other places where they don't have the the blessing and the finance that we have. there's There's a whole world out there that God wants to move upon. I'll move on really quick. Let peace be, God. You'd be in the right place but have the wrong focus. Thirdly, we need to understand it's the will of God for your life, not the will of God for your life. It's the will of God for my life, not the will of God for my life. I'm not the centre. I'm not the centre. God's the centre. When you read the Bible, what do you see? Do you see a thousand 
different stories of a thousand different wills of God for individual people? Or do you see one painted canvas and a thousand individuals having a role to play in a bigger picture? Is that right? The story doesn't stop with the birth and death of one individual in this book. The story goes on. And you look at the whole thing, it's like God's painting this canvas. And along the way, he goes, I need this to happen. I need this change to take place. I want to raise up this person for this season. This, And you know what? God is so beautiful about his plans and purposes that he will patiently stall long enough till he finds the right people, the right person, the right church. He will let a whole generation die in the wilderness because he's not going to rush his painting. He knows when the first stroke was painted and he knows when the last stroke's going to be brushed on that canvas. And in between that, we have the privilege of being one of those little brushes that he picks up and goes, I want to do this with you. It's not all about us. We're all part of a bigger picture for planet Earth. We're all part of the bigger picture for this region, bigger picture for this area. You know, me and Jackie were part of a church plant in Ganelba. About, how many years ago is that now? About 10 years? There you go, Nelly was even there. 2002. We were part of a church plant right here in Ganelba. 150 metres from where we are standing right now. Isn't that funny? <coughs> that never happened. Never got off the ground. Um, I don't believe it was the timing of God. It wasn't right. We were just part of a, a group that was going into there. And what was interesting is I stand here now and I go, well, God, aren't you patient? You waited. You waited. God's not in a hurry. Who knows that? God is not in a hurry. God's not in a rush. He knows the beginning to the end. He's painting his picture and he will take his time to do it. It's the will of God for your life, not the will of God for your life. I'm not the centre. I'm a piece of it. I'm a part of it. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need you. Did you know that? He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He's God. He started this whole thing when there was nobody around to need in the first place. He's pretty self-sufficient. He just said, let there be, and there was. If he wanted to, he could go, let there be a church in Ganelema called Horizon. There could be. He could go, people, boom, up they pop in the chairs like seeds. He could do that if he wanted to. But, you know, he doesn't do that. He wants to work with people. He wants to work with humanity. The minute Adam was created, Adam and Eve there, and he gave him a job, and he said, right, I made this garden, but guess what? From this moment on in human history, I want to involve you in the process. I want to involve you in this. I want to involve you in this canvas that I'm painting. So I'm not tending the garden anymore. You're here. I want you to look after the garden. Here's a task. Here's a job. Here's a purpose. Here's the will of God for you. And he's done that right throughout human history. And he's doing it today. He's still doing it. And he's saying to you, I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. There's a will of God for your life. It's a will of God for your life. There's a purpose to you being here. There's a purpose to you being who you are. There's a purpose to what you've been through. There's a purpose to where you're going. There's a purpose to it. God's passionate about that. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. I mean, if I came home and I was married to Jackie and it was just because she needed me, I'd always be asking the question, I'm only here because you need me, but do you really want me? I know you need me. Therefore, you can't leave me because you need... But isn't it so much more special to know that she doesn't need me? She wants me. <laughs> what can I say other than a smart woman filled with the Holy Spirit? She wants me. 
And God wants you to be a part of that plan. But it's important for us to realise that it's his will for our life. And it's part of a bigger picture. It's part of a bigger plan. It's part of a bigger canvas that God is painting. He doesn't need our involvement. He wants our involvement. You know, I I believe with all my heart I'm actually fulfilling somebody else's ministry. I've said this to Jackie many times. (laughs) I go back and look at the history of my family. We we can roots are traced back to Germany. And and way back in the beginning, we were involved in in church. Uh, the, The Kirchens as we're called. Kirchen in German actually means churches. My last name means churches in German. And when I looked at the family history, our family crest actually has a church smack bang in the middle of our family crest. And what we used to do, we used to run through the streets on a Sunday ringing a bell, screaming out to everybody, church is on, you need to go to church. People, you need to get, you need to go to church, you need to, you need to go to church. That's what we used to do. We fought for the underprivileged. We were a lower caste family. We fought for the underprivileged and we fought our way up to, to, to middle class and to beyond and, and status and privileges. We fought for that and we got there. Somewhere along the line that got lost. Because <laughs> I don't remember being brought up in anything that even vaguely remotely looked like that. I reckon somebody else in my family is meant to be doing what I'm doing. I do. I honestly believe that. But they didn't. And so God patiently sat back and said, right here, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll see if he'll do it. Will you do it? Well, I don't have much to offer God, but if you can see the value in it, I'll have a crack. God's got plans and purposes for us, for each and every one of us. God wants our involvement in what he's trying to do in planet Earth. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's the will of God that people get saved. It's the will of God that people get saved. And the will of God for my life will always entail an aspect of that. Use me, Lord. Use us, Lord, to bring people to faith in you. Be kingdom-minded people. Don't be like David sitting in the comfort of the palace. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we'd walk in them. We're prepared for good works. We're prepared for something. You've been prepared for something. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Because you've been prepared for something. And if what you're doing right now has no kingdom dimension, no kingdom focus, if you can't, if you can't see the kingdom of God, then, then I, I, I would suggest you need to go and pray. You could be in the right place, doing the right thing. Maybe it's just a focal point that needs to change. You need to bring the kingdom into that. Get a bigger perspective. My life is like dust. I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow. And when I'm gone, guess what? My car will eventually rot, my house will fall down. My little plaque on the wall for my service, it will eventually rust over. They'll eventually need space and I'll throw it in the bin and put the next one up. It'll be gone. But what I do for the kingdom of God will remain forever. What I do for the kingdom will remain forever. Lastly, fourth thing I get out of this, (coughs) there's no safer place than being in the will of God. I'll just get the news as to come on back. There's no safer place to be than in the will of God. (coughs) You know, Israel eventually defeated Ammon through a series of events. Joab said, look, I'm ready to take them over, but if I kill them now, everyone's going to worship and praise Joab and say, what a great military leader. And he sent a message back to David and said, David, you've got to get down here with us because when we win this battle, it's got to be you that leads us into it. 
The safest place for David would have been down there in the field with his troops, fighting that battle. That would have been the safest place for him to be. Smack bang in the will of God. Instead, he chose the comfort and the safety, apparent safety of the palace and ended up becoming a murderous, adulterous liar. The safest place to be is in the will of God. It's in the will of God. I've got a friend of mine, um, I've got a photo on my bag. I was hoping to put it up on the projector screens there, but I couldn't do it. I've got a friend of mine, his name's Joe from New Jersey. Joel from Jay-Z, that's how he used to talk. He came to Brisbane and he was part of a training school that we were involved in. And Joe got a call of God upon his life. The Lord said to Joe, I want you to go to Mexico and I want you to work with the children in the favelas, in the poor part of, 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 of down there, the slums. And Joe said, yes, Lord, I'm excited. Yeah, I want to do this, God. I want to do this. And then Joe left Australia, went back, to America, and before you know it, I'm getting some emails from Joe going, look, I'm not going to go and do that now. I've met this girl. She's a Christian girl, and she loves God, and blah, blah, blah. And so the call of God began to dissipate out of him. He didn't want to do that anymore. He decided that he was going to stay in America. He decided that because this girl was not from uh, uh, where he was currently residing at the time, which was about three hours away from New York, so Joe decided, she's coming down to visit me this weekend, so I'm going to take her and we're going to go into New York. I'm going to show her New York. So Joe goes in, getting ready to go into the city, and Joe's mother rings him up and says, Joe, I, I, I just don't want you to go, I just don't think you should go in there on that particular day. I just, I don't know why you want to go. Why do you want to go that day? You've got to get up so early, you're three hours away, to get a train in. You're going to have to, why don't you just go the day before? And so to get his mother off his back, Joe said, right, yeah, I'll go the day before. So on September 10, Joe jumped on a train with his girlfriend, a three-hour drive. They pulled in at the base of the Twin Towers in the subway. Got out and had their day there. I've got a photo here. Like I said, I was hoping to get it restored and fixed. It's old. I just found it the other day. You can see here, you probably can't from where you are. There's the towers. There's the date. I don't need your glasses, darling. He took a photo from Manhattan Island, and there's the towers. Jumped in the train at the base of the subway, I think he said it was something like 2.30 in the morning. Went home, went to bed. Gets a phone call from his mother. Phone wouldn't stop ringing, he gets out of bed. What? Turn on the TV, turn on the TV, he turns on the TV. And we all know what happened. The planes that hit the towers. Joe sat there for the next few hours, he said, watching that. Thinking, my God, I should have been in there when that happened. I should have been there. But for a phone call from mum, badgering me, I would have been there. A couple of days later, I get this letter from Joe going, Alan, I've decided I'm going to Mexico. I've decided I'm going to go and work with these kids in this poor area and I'm going to get in line with the will of God. Let me tell you something. The safest place that you can be is in the will of God. The safest place you can be is in the will of God, regardless of what that looks like. If you are doing what God tells you to do, following the call of God for your life, that is the safest place that you can be in. We all just stand up for a second.
John 17, 4, Jesus said this, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have given me to do. I've glorified you on the earth and I've finished the work which you, God, have given to me to do. My prayer is that we could all look God in the eye and with the same confidence of Jesus, we could say, Father, at the end of my day, I have glorified you on the earth and I have finished the work that you sent me here to do. You know, it's easy to get a little bit off course. It's easy because life throws things at us and life is life. It's an evolving process. And it's easy to just get a little bit off track. You know, I've got this stupid thing in my car called a GPS. This nagging voice that tells me how to get to my destination when I plug it in. You know, sometimes I'll just deliberately drive straight past the turn just because it said, I've got no way and I'm going another way. But you know what it does? That nagging voice just adjusts itself and goes, Rightio, you missed that turn, idiot. 200 metres, there's another turn. Turn right there. And this nagging voice keeps pushing me back on the right course. And you know, God is like that with us. If our heart is genuine and we get ourselves a little bit off the course, it's not a cause for condemnation. It's as simple as readjusting the GPS and going, God, speak to me. Father, speak to me. Tell me. Tell me. Help me get back on course. Francis of Assisi was hoeing his garden one day. Somebody walked up to him and said to him, what would you do if you suddenly learned that you were to die at sunset today? He said, I'd finish hoeing my garden. Because he knew he was exactly where he was meant to be, doing what he was meant to do. And my prayer for each of us today is that we would be in that same place, that we would accept what God has for our lives, that we would embrace the call of God. Because every call is important, not because of the activity itself, but because of the one who gave it to you. The task itself is not what makes it important. It's the fact that he called you to do it that gives the task value. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you this morning, Lord, for your purposes and your plans, God. I thank you, Father, there's not a person in this room today, and I don't care what age they are at this present time, there's not a person in this room who doesn't have a plan and a purpose. There's not a single person in this room right now that you have not prepared good works in advance for them to do. And Father, I pray that each of us would be on track with your plan and your purpose, God. Not just make life about ourselves, not just make life about the comfort of the the, the kingdom, the comfort of the palace, but Father, we would be prepared to get our hands dirty. We would be prepared to be in that right place at the right time and to do what it is that you've called us to do. Father, let our prayer be that of Jesus, that we have glorified you on planet Earth. We've run our race, God. We've finished the task that you have given to us. Let that be our prayer. And Father, I pray this morning for anyone in this place, anyone in this place that knows, perhaps they're just that little bit off kilter. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, that it's as easy as a prayer. It's as easy as a prayer, as crying out to God, and that you can set us back on the right path. You can set us back on the right course. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us just finish off today, just worship together. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, we would love to pray with you. We would love to share with you a bit more about God's plan for your life because he has a plan. He has a plan for you. He loves you. If you're in this place today, maybe something that, that has been said today is touching. Maybe you're looking at your own life. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're in the right place, but your focus is wrong. Maybe you feel like you might be in the wrong place. Maybe you don't even know, but you know that you want to do the will of God. We would love to pray with you this morning. So if that's you, just while we worship God, just feel free to come forward.
Otherwise, we're just going to worship God together. Thank you, Lord.